Hello, friends. We are back of episode 127 of our weekly highlights, and this is our weekly podcast, and we showcase the awesome resources that have been voted by our Art Weekly team as highlights that are really great for your R learning pleasure and leveling up your skills and your enthusiasm for the R language itself. My name is Eric Nance, and I cannot ever do this podcast alone anymore, and especially this week, because he's going to help pick up a lot for me, is my awesome co-host, Mike Thomas. Mike, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing pretty well, Eric. I think it's unusual that I actually have been getting a little bit more sleep than than you, it sounds like. So uh, it's teamwork makes the dream work, as they say. Anyway, we are here with our latest issue, 2023, week 25, that has been curated by Jonathan Carroll, another longtime member of the R-Weekly team. And of course, he had tremendous help from our fellow R-Weekly team members and contributors like all of you around the world. And our first highlight, maybe one of those cases where you're pretty familiar with tidyverse principles, if you've been using the tidyverse for your data processing, data munging, and visualization. And there is one of the mainstays in the dplyr package called slice. Awesome name for a function where on the tin, so to speak, you may think of slice as, you know what? I'm going to use slice to select just a set of rows by their index and call it a day. And certainly that is what most people use slice as. But if you thought it was just for that quick selection, oh, you're in for a treat in this first highlight. And this comes from June Cho, who is a PhD candidate in Wing Gluten 6 at the University of Pennsylvania. And I actually had the pleasure of meeting June um, at the last uh, Studio Conf. It was great to meet him in person. But he has a terrific blog post that covers a boatload of new and interesting to me use cases of the slice function that definitely follows that model of more than meets the eye, so to speak. We're going to talk about some of my favorite features here, and I'll be interested in, Mike, your perspective on this too. But this post is extremely comprehensive. June starts a kind of building up, like I mentioned, that more, you might say, typical behavior of slicing by indices of rows to get that subset of observations in your data frame. But what's really cool right off the bat is let's say you have a set of rows that they're not continuous, so to speak. Maybe it's not the first 10 rows or it's not the middle 30 rows, but it's like a set of ranges and they're kind of different different parts of the data frame ordering. Well, Slice, with its integration with dynamic dots, what that means is that you could feed in different sets of ranges just as comma separated values. And he has a great example where you might feed in the first few rows and then maybe a middle set of rows and then the last few rows. And it's easy just to put all that in. And the other cool part of Slice, like other functions in the Tidyverse, is that if, say, one of these sections doesn't actually return anything, maybe maybe you have a data set that ends up being smaller than expected and your your indices of rows is not quite matching that it's not going to crash the whole thing it's just going to return an empty tibble for that particular selection meaning that if you're doing this of a bunch of data you're generating dynamically maybe if you're simulation or other maybe training tests you know subsets it's not going to make your whole you know processing pipeline crash down if it doesn't find what it expects 
It's just going to take what is there and then move on with your day, so to speak. So that is a really great feature and, you know, very helpful in the case of dynamic data. And then the rest of the posts are a couple of other great principles I want to highlight here is that slice can be used in ways that combine techniques that you probably are familiar with if you've been using Tidyverse for a while. When you filter rows with the filter function and then you're creating new columns with mutate, you can use a lot of the, that same syntax in slice as well to replicate a lot of that behavior, which opens up a lot of interesting possibilities that June dives into, especially around windowing functions to, you know, that can be really helpful for things like time series analyses or other operations like that. And then there are other great examples in the post that deal with a situation I'm very familiar with is when you have to do, you might call balanced or even unbalanced sampling from different groups of a data set. This often comes into play in life sciences or psychology experiment data where you might have multiple interventions they may or may not have the same number of observations but you do have to take like a specifically defined range maybe to do some additional calculations and the like and june has some really terrific examples actually using uh, flights data to illustrate all this in action amongst other great examples from psychology as well so there is no way we could do justice to every principle here but I think I'm pretty confident you're going to find at least a handful of interesting use cases to augment your filtering type workflows with Slice. There is a lot more that it's capable of than I ever imagined. And so this is going to be my bookmarks for sure of different of a great resource to level up my knowledge of Slice. Not to be confused with Nick Wan's awesome stream channel. Uh, I couldn't resist. But anyway, Slice is an awesome function. I highly recommend it. You can do way more than just that simple little selection of rows. I thought I knew a lot about the Slice function until I read this blog post by June. And I'm a huge fan of the Slice function. Um, it's it's always important to remember that that order does matter when extracting observations by by position. Right, um, so that you you have to think through these things when you are using the, the slice function. But as June points out, there is way more to slice than just supplying hard coded row numbers to the arguments. And I found myself paragraph after paragraph, like my jaw hanging down a little bit lower each time about all of these features of slice that I, I just did not know. I didn't know you could supply a vector of comma separated indices uh, to, to the slice function, which is really cool. I didn't know you could pass a list of index values to uh, slice that you can splice by prepending the list with three exclamation points. That is super cool to be able to define uh, the indices that you want to extract first in a chunk separate from your slice call and then call that list uh, within slice downstream. I, I find that to be potentially super valuable uh, in some of my work. And, and interestingly, if you supply an index, like as you said, that doesn't exist to slice, it's not gonna throw an error or a warning. It'll just return an empty tibble or it won't return a row for that particular index. And there, like you said, there is, is a lot more to this blog post as well. It's hard to do it justice uh, summarizing it in this podcast, but it's really cool to see a blog post this big that, that essentially just walks through one function and all the nuances of this one function slice. And it, it makes me wonder a little bit 
what else exists in some of these other functions, maybe in the tidyverse or, or, or otherwise, that just have all of this additional functionality that, that we may not have ever realized or, or may have taken for granted somewhat. So uh, a really interesting, cool blog post to kick us off this week. Yeah, and you see the unifying themes in this of just how you can treat what we're doing with this selection of rows. You can augment them in so many different ways. And that's why, especially in the second half of this post, you'll want to read this through a couple times because he's got some really clever uses of like the outer function to grab different margin type statistics and counts and then merging that with slice or feeding it into slice, doing some additional mutating. There is some really intricate workflows here and so i won't pretend to have understood it all the first time around but that's why this is for you to read at your leisure and there's lots of great use cases i'm definitely gravitating towards that kind of sampling approach because when i generate virtual clinical data a lot of times i need to mimic as close as possible the real scenarios and sometimes that might be unbalanced groups and that might be different types of selection so i'm definitely going to pay a lot of attention to that in my next uh, workflows dealing with simulation. There's there's just a whole bunch of content here. So definitely have at it. This is really, really comprehensive. And it does, like you said, Mike, make you wonder just what other uncovered hidden gems there are in this vast world of Tidyverse and these functions that seem seem simple on the surface, but boy, they're not so simple in terms of what you can do with them. It's just amazing stuff. It is. It is. Uh, it makes me want to read the help documentation for every single function in the tidyverse. Just a question mark, name a function away, right? In your trusty old R prompt. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, we talk about things getting supercharged and more than just what's on the tin. Well, what gets supercharged a lot, especially in the table generation space, and that is the GT package, which has now been released at version 0.9, and there is a boatload of great enhancements to talk about. And that's where our next highlight is a blog post from GT developer and Posit software engineer Rich Yone, who I must say, Rich, if you do listen to this, you know me. And when I say you have some of the best package documentation and write-ups out there, there are not many that can hold a candle to your skills on that. So it's much appreciated for those of us on the consuming side. So just wanted to make sure you got that shout out. But this blog post is going to highlight a couple of really great enhancements. And as somebody in the life sciences space, we are very enthusiastic about this influx of terrific methods in R to generate high quality tables for both static formats and interactive formats. And GT is really rising to near the top of this cream, so to speak. And we got cool things to talk about here in this post. The first is being able to merge columns together via the enhance cows merge function, which is not new as Rich says in the blog post, but it's got a more unified syntax and a bit cleaner to use. And the classical example that he uses in this post is when you have, say, a set of coordinates, latitude and longitude, and you just want to feed that into a single column for a presentation, you know, printing purposes. It is very easy to do that with the cows merge and customize it to your liking with labels but also which column actually 
gets the new lay bar, which is hidden, so to speak, but it gets even better with the way you can use pattern syntax to change just how those columns are going to be printed in their cells onto the table itself. Obviously, with coordinates, you probably want to surround that with parentheses. I'm thinking also if you're combining, say, a mean and a standard deviation column to do like an interval notation, you could use this pattern syntax to you know, make that syntax more expected for, say, a manuscript publication. So there's lots of interesting benefits that GD can offer with the new revamped Kyle's merge function. And if you want to have more fine-tuned control labels without a lot of overhead in the syntax, this version 0.9 introduces the calls label with function, which is a really handy way to use, say, a more default function to translate all or a subset of column labels in your table. He has examples such as maybe converting the labels to uppercase letters or only changing a certain set of columns, but also using other great packages like the janitor package, which if you haven't used janitor before, it's got an awesome function, make clean names, which is what it uses under the hood as you import a messy data file and you want the, the column labels to be a little more sane, if you will, not like such a mix of upper and lower case and weird special characters, make clean names takes care of all that for you, but you can use that in call labels with now. That's another great, great usability enhancement to use these custom functions as well. You can also feed in other custom functions to really do a nice, neat presentation of labels. He's got other great examples there as well. And also with the labels themselves, there has been great enhancement to the calls label function as well, where you can augment, you know, say translation of markdown or HTML syntax to make sure that it's processed, say, line breaks in HTML appropriately when it prints the label name. So you can do lots of interesting use cases here with also two-sided expression arguments as well. These are all things that if you've had to tweak your table appearance, these are going to be great enhancements to your workflow. So GT's had a lot of great updates this year. I mean, there was many updates even previously that we may have touched on in previous issues around interactivity enhancements. There's lots of great things happening in the GT space. And by the way, they are very enthusiastic to get feedback from you. And I just discovered after reading the post that there is now a Discord channel for GT. If you're on the Discords, like some of us have, yeah, there's a link in the end of the post to join their Discord server dedicated to GT. So it's a great way to get in touch with Rich and other developers and, you know, and contributors and users like you if you want to get more involved in the GT space. So job well done, Rich and the fellow contributors. It's, it's great to see GT get some more Awesome enhancements in this release. GT is is certainly thriving, and it seems like with every new release of the package, we get not one, not two, maybe three, four, five blog posts from from Rich and the Posit team updating us on the new functionality that we're getting with each new release, which really just speaks again to one the the documentation and the resources available to understand the functionality in the package and and two just the breadth of what the package can do and all of the hard work that's going into it by rich and the posit team and as you said um most of the updates here revolve around somewhat the, the calls merge 
function, which Rich uses the example, if you have two separate columns for latitude and longitude in your data frame, you could use calls merge to create a single column in your GT table, maybe called coordinates that, that show the latitude and the longitude separated by a comma without having to explicitly create that new column within your data frame or augment your data frame anyway. And one pain point with calls merge in the past was that sometimes that, that second column being merged in had missing data. And you would end up with some NA values uh, printed in some rows of your GT table. Well, as you said, Eric, now GT version 0.9.0 has developed this new syntax, which is essentially two uh, left-pointing arrows followed by two right-pointing arrows that wrap around um, the the argument uh, in the pattern argument of calls merge to essentially conditionally merge that second column's information if the data in the second column is not missing for that particular row. So you won't get those pesky NA values actually printed in your table. And again, you touched on the new ability to add um, a function to the calls label with and calls label functions uh, that sort of augment the column labels uh, at the end of what you're trying to do in that column mapping. So some great functionality here, a really nice update uh, from Rich. And I think any GT users out there uh, who are, are using GT on, on a fairly regular basis will find this to be a lifestyle improvement. Uh, to their workflow. And, and as you said, I think if you are a GT user, um, they're very eager to hear feedback on how some of these lifestyle improvements are either enhancing your workflow or, or, or maybe not. Um, so make sure that you, you speak up if you're a user. I know uh, the GitHub issues and, and discussions, um, there, there's plenty of places to do that. Uh, so if you're a GT user, uh, try out the new functionality and, and let the team know what you think. And there are a lot of GT users out there. And what's really cool to see is as it's matured over time, and as I said, Rich is always thinking of great new enhancements, listening to the community. We are seeing many different industries adopt this or different business areas, if you will. Yes, I am going to be a little selfish here and mention that, you know, those of us in the life sciences space had a bit of motivation for GT even getting formed in the first place. But we're seeing this everywhere. You're seeing some great data viz being networked out there. I've, I've seen like Tanya Shapiro use some great uses of GT. There are many others in the community using this all sorts of different ways. And that's what I love to see, right? It's because when you get a broader usage in terms of different personas or, or different industries using a fundamental package like this, it opens the door for new enhancements, new ideas so much more easily than if it's just one very specific niche using it. So I think it's great to see the, I'll say the the broader data science adoption of GT in it. You know, I, I'll harp on this as kind of the old timer here, so to speak, but there was a time, folks, when there wasn't a lot going on in the R space for making tables. It was maybe X table or bust. Now there's an embarrassment of riches almost of which packages to pick for, for table creation. And GT is certainly a, an MVP in this space. So it's exciting times nonetheless. I think we'll look back and, you know, in a couple years from now, maybe the, the, the way that we do with technologies like, like Shiny or the Tidyverse, things like that, and, and sort of realize just how incredible a GT is of an asset to our, our workflows. But Absolutely, I would say that GT probably stands on the shoulders of a lot of those table packages that came before it as well. So it's it's nice to have lots of options and a pretty rich table generation ecosystem.
And speaking of reminiscing, Mike, our last holiday is a great showcase of a little bit of history, but also augmenting some modern data science principles to have some fun predictions along the way. And in particular, this blog post comes from Carl Goodwin, who is a data scientist based in the UK, where he had mentioned that it is pretty common, and this was kind of news to me as somebody who's based in the, in the Western Hemisphere, so to speak, that there are in London that prominent members of history, you know, might say like Charles Dickens and the like, have a have their, you might say, their name and their history commemorated by a plaque on where they lived or where they were mostly associated with. That's pretty cool. Guess who else has a plaque? Thomas Bayes, who, um, yeah, I'd say he's been pretty influential in the world of statistics, especially in Bayesian statistics. It's named after him, for goodness sakes. Well, apparently, a few miles north of London, he has a plaque on the home where he grew up, which is fun to see in and of itself. But what if? You want to play the what if game? Well, what if we did have the kind of the modern quantifications of mortgage rates and interest rates and kind of looking at what would be the economic impact of this location if this was in modern times? So this looks like a fun deep dive. Mike, why don't you take us through what uh, Carl's explored here? Yeah, that's that's a great background, Eric. And like you said, Carl uh, is based in the UK. He's the author of the blog Quantum Jitter, which I think is an awesome blog name. And uh, he has an impressive resume, including 36 years at IBM in strategy and data science roles. And he holds an MBA from Holt International Business School. Um, Also, he is a noted fan of the tidyverse and tidy models. Uh, Us too, Carl. Us too. You so bet. He, he is also an artist, uh, and it appears that a lot of the cover art in his blog post is his own artwork that he makes using, at least in part, Adobe Fresco. He's also the creator of the crayon package Used These, which is a package that I didn't realize was out there yet. And it summarizes our package and function usage in Quarto documents. So maybe something like a uh, session.info call, but in a nicer version for you uh, within your Quarto documents. So a pretty cool little nifty package there. And he's he's set out to forecast uh, an average fixed five-year mortgage rate and is using the following independent variables to do so. Uh, the, the central bank rate, the five-year yield from government bonds, uh, the ratio of retail deposits to the value of outstanding mortgages, and the number of new mortgage approvals. This is a, a space that, that I operate in quite a bit, that, that my company, Catchbrook Analytics, uh, operates in quite a bit, working with banks and, and trying to do uh, credit risk modeling as well as uh, financial modeling. So this is this is right up my alley, and it's a really detailed blog post that walks you through every step of his modeling process uh, from interpolation, lagged effects, uh, and feature engineering, and discussion on why he chose to use a regression modeling approach instead of uh, time series modeling approaches. And the hint there is that the, the focus is on uh, the explanatory variables and trying to build a causal model and, and figure out what the real drivers are of mortgage rate change as opposed to strictly focusing on, on prediction accuracy. So he uses both frequentist linear regression modeling, uh, Bayesian regression with weekly informative priors, and also a few nonlinear regression modeling uh, algorithms like Random Forest and XGBoost. And really, I think that the heart of the blog post is showing 
how we can build all of these different types of models pretty easily and in a consistent way using tidy models and tangential packages uh, like workflow sets, recipes, and things like that. So it's it's pretty eye-opening how sort of simple it is for him to build these four different types of models. And as he fits these models, as he evaluates their accuracy um, and, and things like that, all of the plots surrounding that are faceted by the four different models. So you can really get a nice comparison of, of the different uh, modeling techniques that he used, as well as, you know, sort of understanding that that under the hood, Tidy Models is returning these probably data frames that are identical um, in in their structure. So it allows you to apply the same functions in terms of plotting or table generation to the data uh, to compare these model outputs really, really easily. And, and I think that's sort of the, the big takeaway for me, at least from this blog post. So if you are someone who is into predictive modeling, um, especially using tidy models, this is going to be a blog post that is absolutely going to be right up your alley as it was with mine, Eric. Yeah, I, I, I admit, I thought, I think Mike might know a thing or two about this domain. So I'm, I'm very glad you picked, you picked this one up. But I, I really love the approach here where in the past, first, it's very difficult to know exactly which of these model types are going to be best for your data without literally trying a few different ones. And to be able to minimize the friction of not only running each of these, but then to assemble all of them in a way where you can compare and contrast them quite easily for both yourself as the data scientist or statistician in charge of performing the model fits. But also you could take any of these outputs that Carl has been outputting here in this blog and be able to, you know, put that in a report or there's a, a quartal document, right? I mean, you could easily make this consumable to other stakeholders if you want to drill down to the key nuances between these as your team starts to decide okay for this pipeline we're going to choose say the bayesian framework or we're going to choose a non-linear framework but you've got all the metrics side by side the visualizations are really powerful here great great use of that along with the other metrics and yes you look at the end of the blog post and you look at the toolbox that he calls it that went into this it is a smorgasbord of amazing packages in the tidy model space and the visualization space and general tidyverse so i think this is an excellent post not only just see how tidy models can fit in the real world frankly this could serve as a great educational piece too as you're trying to maybe introduce this gently for the first time to a team that maybe knows machine learning or knows linear or regression modeling but they don't really know the state of the art of what you can do with it this this is a great applied domain to use this with so i think this is definitely worth your your attention especially if you're you know getting up to speed in this space or you're helping others get up to speed in this space i i always have bookmarks for these great use cases as i try to get more modern methods into our exploratory data analysis work and not just doing the descriptors all the time and just crossing our fingers and hope we found the right trend, right? Use predictive modeling to your advantage. So I think this is this is an awesome showcase. And yeah, that was a, a cool um, set of packages that Carl's authored. So I'm definitely going to take a look at, at the package that you mentioned. I'll, I'll link to that in the supplements because use these, I think could be quite helpful in my Cordal adventures as well. Yes, yes. And I think that this is the first time we've seen a blog from from Carl's blog 
quantum jitter hit our weekly, but I am hoping it is certainly not the last. If, if modern trends in our episodes do show us, Mike, we tend to have, you know, frequent visitors once they get that initial feature. So we will see. But I'd imagine, Carl, if you pumping up the great content, I'd imagine it'll be featured here again pretty soon. So great, great stuff, Carl. We really enjoy reading it. And you'll enjoy a lot more of this issue as well. John's done a terrific job of the rest of the resources mentioned here. And then we'll take a couple of minutes here to talk about some additional finds. And for me... I have been on a learning journey. It's actually dated to near the end of last year, off and on. But especially in light of a presentation that we saw at the uh, Absalon Shiny conference a few months ago, I'm really warming up to the idea of R6 classes in, um, in my Shiny development, but also my general R package development. And there is a great blog post here about how you can create an R6 class to help manage database access and connections and other operations. I think that is an intuitive way to see how R6 can really help you out. And I'm not going to pretend to say R6 is easy to get into for the first time, especially if you're mostly used to, say, the S3 class system that most of base R is, is using, such as like when you can do plot of a data frame versus plot of a vector and plot of things like that. R6 is a little different. It definitely mimics more of the object-oriented structure that you might see in other programming languages, but it's another great example of where R6 can bring great benefits. So I'm going to be putting that in my bookmarks for the future as I start to, you know, slowly enhance my big old shiny apps at the day job with a little more object-oriented magic. And I think R6 can, can help make that happen for me. No, that's a great find, Eric. And I think that wrapping a database uh, with a custom R6-based package is a phenomenal use case uh, for using R6 and, and object-oriented programming, maybe within your own organization. So that's that's a great find. I found a couple. Um, first one is a, I just want to shout out Bruno Rodriguez, that his book, Building Reproducible Analytical Pipelines with R, is now available on Amazon. So pick up your copy. Um, second, from the highlights themselves, uh, is a blog post by Marcus Codrescu. Uh, it's called My Computer Can Read. If you are into trying to get started with computer vision at all, it's a great walkthrough of, I believe, the MNIST data set, which is essentially recognizing handwriting numbers um, and building a model that can recognize uh, handwriting from images and classify them into the numbers zero through nine, which is sort of your traditional um, first step introduction into computer vision. And it's nice to see, you know, I see a lot of blog posts uh, doing that in Python, and it's, it's nice to see an example of that uh, with R, which is, which is really awesome. So I wanted to shout that out as well. And then I have one more if we have time um, there is a new maintainer of the eCharts for R package which oh. is one of my favorite packages for interactive data visualization um, and I just want to shout it out because we talk a lot about open source package maintenance and how hard of a job it can be so I want to thank David uh, Munaz Tord for stepping up to maintain this amazing package uh, which in my opinion 
may have documentation and a website that rivals GT. Uh, and, and, thank, and thank John Kuhn for, for all of his work on the package to this point. Uh, it's, it's really been a game changer, in my opinion, for interactive charts using R. Wow, yeah, we've we've spoke the praises of eCharts for our many times on this show in our general conversation. So it's great to see, it's great to see uh, life live on, so to speak, in the open source space. So we definitely love to love to see those kind of stories. And and you you mentioned that that great post about handwritten um, recognition. I can't resist to do one more, if you don't mind, Mike. But um, I want to shout out Mike FC, or you might know him more as Cool but Useless, has released the careless whisper package which get this can help record audio in r and perform automatic speech recognition using the whisper c++ library oh goodness as some of you does a little thing called podcasting i think i am most definitely going to take a look at this because i am literally in my fun project as we speak i am revamping how we do this very podcast uh, production. And one of those is making a brand new website for it. And this website has a lot more going on under the hood than just the website. It is going to be used to fully populate a brand new feed for this podcast. That's going to take advantage of some of the awesome features of the podcast namespace as part of the podcasting 2.0 movement. And I wonder if Kara's Whisper could be part of that workflow. So stay tuned, folks. But Mike FC, I, I love what you do. I, I And you have the, some of the best package names I could ever imagine. So I'm going to be checking out Kara's Whisper after this uh, for sure. Yes, that is a phenomenal song reference. And that package sounds very cool and very much not useless. So looking forward <laughs> to checking that out. Yep, and there is way more to check out in this issue in general. John, again, has done a terrific job, so definitely come for all the great resources, upcoming events, new packages, and updated packages. There's something for everybody, as there typically is in our weekly. And speaking to everyone, again, this podcast is for all of you in the community, and we love hearing from you and having your contributions to our weekly in general. So one of the best ways to contribute is sending us links to your favorite resources, new packages, and the like. So you can do that via the main website, rwiki.org. There is a link right in the top right corner to this week's draft issue where you can do a pull request and add in your, your new resource or new link you'd like to have featured in next week's issue, and the curator will merge that in. That's a great way to give back to the project. Also, if you're interested in becoming a curator for our weekly, we are always looking for new members to join the team. So again, you'll find additional details on that at rweekly.org as well. And we love hearing from you about this little, little humble podcast we do here. So if you want to get in touch with us, we have a little contact page that's linked directly in this episode's show notes. It'll take you right to that, which again, I might make a bit better if I get through this website, a uh, fun project. But also if you're listening on one of those new podcast apps like like Podverse or Fountain, you can also send us a fun little boost along the way if you'd like to do that. All the details are linked in the show notes of additional resources for you to learn about that as well. And you can also send a boost directly on the Podcast Index site where our weekly is featured amongst thousands and thousands of other great podcasts. So we'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. And we are on social media. I am still sporadically on Twitter with at the Rcast, but I am mostly on Mastodon these days. 
I am at our podcast at podcastindex.social. And Mike, where can the listeners find you? Likewise, uh, Twitter at Mike underscore Ketchbrook, K-E-T-C-H-B-R-O-O-K. And Mastodon at Mike underscore Thomas at Fostodon.org. And so I'll close up shop for episode 127, but we'll have episode 128 ready for you next week.